In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite all kids and teens up through the 12th grade to please come forward. morning. Tell me your name. Why? Declan? Hi, Declan. It's special to be a son of Father Beetle. Father John is uh, one of, as our new church planter out in Conroe. Uh, our Father Bill and Anthea are, are, are assisting him in this, and so we'll keep them in our prayers, and of course our financial support as well, but he's already doing a wonderful job. Um, these are our choir interns. <laughs> they come up. I love it that they come up. Uh, three or four weeks ago, I mentioned. Hi. Three or four weeks ago, I mentioned um, Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden and how they were cast out of the garden. Uh, not that God stopped loving them. God loved them just as much as He ever did. But God already had in His mind what He was going to do. God already had in his mind that he was going to bring his people back to himself. And so he began with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we read all those stories of their wonderful families in the book of Genesis. And then we come to the story of the Old Testament story today from Exodus about Moses. This is the next great event in this whole salvation plan where God's going to save his people, bring them back to him. And we come to Moses. Of course, we all know the story of Moses, how he led all the people out of Egypt, but, for, but he had to meet God first. And so he meets God on the mountain. He sees God in a burning bush. God is speaking out of fire in the bush, and God reveals himself. And, he's, and, and Moses, I mean, he tells Moses what he wants him to do is deliver his people out of Israel. But then Moses says, but who do, I, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them, I am who I am sent you. I am who I am. Now we know in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, that Jesus intentionally calls himself I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the bread. Says it several times. Saying, talking about himself being God. Jesus is God. We believe that. We believe he's also fully human, but he's God. And so God's plan, since the disobedience in the garden, God never stopped. We're the one who disobeyed God. God kept trying to bring us to him, and he, took, and he knew in his mind, or whatever God has, in his wisdom, God was bringing people back to him. It took centuries, but he brought Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, all these people until finally you find the culmination in Jesus Christ, God coming down himself and becoming one of us, dying, which is what Lent is all about. We're leading, we're leading ourselves to the cross with Jesus. He's dying for us. 
And so when we come to the end of this season, as we kneel before the cross for the wonderful gift that God has given us of himself through this wonderful plan that has been, that been centuries old, um, we kneel before the cross and, and we are surprised with resurrection joy and, and the ability to come to, to come to God because of what he has done. So don't ever think that God is way up there somewhere not involved in, in our lives. God has been involved since day one of creation and since the disobedience in the garden and since the incarnation and since the crucifixion and since the resurrection and every day since then with the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, bringing us to God. He wants to bring us to him, doesn't he? Yeah. So go, come to God. And this is a perfect season to really give yourselves to the Lord, this season of Lent. Sacrifice is what it's about. Give up those things that take you away from God and bring yourself to the Lord. Okay? Okay, Declan? You good? All right. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. And then we have Father John Tucker, who is our canon for spiritual formation and the communications in the diocese. I don't know what we owe the special pleasure, but we are certainly glad to have you here today. Father John, Father John, I just want you to know that even during Lent, they insist that I tell a joke at the beginning. I don't want to do this. I don't like to do this. But they always insist that I tell a joke at the beginning of the sermon, so I, I, I will do it again. <laughs> Only because they insist. Some people don't call them jokes, but there's a story of a young boy who was given two quarters on a Sunday morning and was also given the instructions that one was for the Lord and one was for himself. And the one that was for the Lord, he was to give put in the offering plate during Sunday school, and the one that was given to him, he could spend it on himself however he wanted to. Well, as boys are off to do, he was walking alone to church, thinking about how he would spend his quarter later on. He was holding two quarters in his hands at the time. Pretty soon, one of the quarters slipped through the fingers, hit the curb, and fell into the drain. After a few seconds of awkward silence, the little boy said out loud, well, Lord, there goes your quarter. <laughs> okay, try this one. The orthopedic surgeon who was, move, who was moving his office a few, few blocks away and his staff was helping him to, tra to transport some of the office items. And one young man, he took a the display skeleton, the full skeleton, and he placed it in the front seat of his car in a sit sitting up position in the passenger seat with the bony arms around the driver's seat. And one, at one of the traffic lights, the, he, the stares of the people in the car beside him became quite obvious. And the young man looked across and he explained, he says, I'm delivering him to my doctor's office. And the other driver leans out his window and said, I hate to tell you, but I think it's too late. 
So there were some people who came to the Messiah. And they said to him, Jesus, some of our people from Galilee were in the temple offering their sacrifices. And the next thing we know, Pilate sent his army in and slaughtered all of them right there in front of us. It was an awful sight. Was it their sin? And Jesus said to them, do you think that these people who died were worse sinners than all other people just because they suffered this tragedy? He said, no, this is not the case, but I do tell you this, sin is in every person and unless you repent, you will also die. And they said to him again, what about those 18 people who died a few weeks ago when that huge tower fell on top of them, do you think they were worse offenders than everyone else in Jerusalem? In other words, Jesus, do you think that God caused that tower to fall on them because they were sinners? And Jesus said to them again, I tell you, no, that is not the way it works. Those people died because of a freak accident. But I do tell you this, if you do not turn from your sin, you also will die. The people, they stood there looking confused because they had never heard anything like this before. And so Jesus said to them, let me tell you a story. There was a man who had an orchard. And in this orchard was a fig tree. For several years, this young fig tree had been without fruit, even though the rain had quenched its thirst, even though the warm rays of the sun had soaked into its branches, even though the goodness of the earth had been absorbed into its roots, in spite of all these good things, there was still no fruit found on its branches. And the owner of the orchard was an impatient man. He didn't care for what he considered to be parasites in his orchard. This fig tree, after all, was only wasting good space. And so the owner goes to the gardener and says, hey, Joe, cut it, cut it down. Cut that fig tree down. It's not doing what it was made to do. But the gardener, who was more gentle, more patient, he said, please, sir, give me just one more year. Allow me to nurture her, to challenge her one more year. And then if she is still barren, well, then I will have her cut down. Now, these are hard words for us to hear. Cut it down. Cut them down. Let them die. You know we're talking about people here, right? We're talking about you, me. You know, normally as Christians, we like to run to the Gospels looking for a more comfortable way out. Because we know that when we look at the good news of Jesus Christ, we are most often given a sense of hope and security. We seek to find a message of mercy and forgiveness within the love and the actions of Jesus. So much so that we falsely begin to think that all of this love and forgiveness business on the part of Jesus is an automatic thing. And that somehow we think we deserve it. We begin to think that we have earned it. And we forget that it is only because it is within the nature of God that these good things happen. 
But today's gospel says, unless you repent, you too will die. Some of you may have grown up, I don't think they do it in Houston, but in Texarkana where I grew up, there were all these sirens going off every week. The city was testing them to make sure that they worked in case there was some sort of emergency. For instance, a tornado might be sighted and those sirens would sound all over town so everybody could take cover or a nuclear bomb or something when I was growing up. I guess the sirens would go off if a nuclear bomb were coming. Well, that's what we find in the gospel story today, that kind of a warning, a warning given to each one of us that we might be led to a safe place. Jesus is telling us that we are all sinners and that we need to do something about it. We need to repent. We need to turn to God or we will die. But he also seems to tell us in this parable that we are given everything that we need to become what God wants us to be. Every single one of us has the capability through the grace of God to bear fruit. It's like that product that came out several years ago. I remember seeing it uh, called disposable guilt bags. It consisted of 10 ordinary brown bags on which were printed the following instructions. Place the bag securely over your mouth Take a deep breath, blow all of your guilt out of your system, and then dispose of the bag immediately. The surprising thing about these kits is that Associated Press reports that 2,500 of them were sold within a few days at $2.50 each. Brown bags. You know, if only, if only we could dispose of our guilt so easily. There's nothing on this earth powerful enough in itself to dispose of our sin, our guilt. We cannot fix ourselves, which is what many of us try to do. That which makes it possible to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be healed, that which makes it possible for us to receive our life back again, fresh and clean and new, is the power of God's grace found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet so many of us will not receive it. We just sit on our gifts and talents. We hide our lamps under the basket. We focus our attention on everything in the world except God. Is it because we find pleasure in disobeying God? One person has this to say about it. When I was a boy, near our vineyard, there was a pear tree loaded with fruit, though it, the fruit was not particularly attractive, either in taste or in color. I and some other wretched youth conceived the idea of shaking the pears off the tree and carrying them away. We set out late at night, stole all the fruit that we could carry, and this was not to feed ourselves. We may have tasted a few, but then we threw the rest to the pigs. I had no desire to enjoy what I tried to get by theft. Our real pleasure was in doing something that was not allowed. The person who told this story lived 1,500 years ago 
and is today considered to be one of the great saints and theologians of the church, St. Augustine of of Hippo. You see, he realized later in his life what he had to do. He knew that he had to repent, he had to come to God, and he had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those things I have done that takes me away from you. I am sorry for those things I have not done that leads me in the wrong direction. Help me to change. Give me the grace to change. And it was then that he began to see the wonderful nature of God that was given, the grace that was given in that confession. The loving arms of God reaching out to him and to us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we have done, in spite of what we have become. He realized that the grace of God, the mercy of God, seems to move so far beyond our human comprehension that we cannot even begin to understand the abundance of grace which God supplies. Much like the words of the woman who wrote, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come running with a bucket. That's the good news. That the God whom we worship loves us so much, no matter what, that the grace of God comes to us in buckets full and sets us free from our sin if we allow it. That's the good news. That God's grace is offered to you, to me, all of us little fig trees who do not produce as we ought. So as it says in scripture, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In other words, do it now. Because who knows when the time will run out. Tell you one more story. I'll end with this. The true story. Steve Telkins from Washington, D.C. He writes this. He says, each time I read Jesus' parable of the barren fig tree, I remember an experience early in my foreign service career. My, my wife, Pat, and I were assigned to the American consulate in Kaduna, Nigeria, a predominantly Muslim tropical agricultural region of West Africa. He writes, our our house faced a a street used by local traffic and cattle herds alike and needed a hedge to keep the cattle out. The previous occupants had evidently had the same idea. For on our arrival, we saw a neat but droopy row of some hundred plants badly in need of care. We gave them lots of attention, watering regularly, hoping that they would grow, but to no avail. The plants remained spindly, nearly lifeless, and we lost patience. Like the man with the fig tree in the gospel reading, we decided to uproot them. But when we pulled them up, to our great surprise, we found each plant still had a plastic bag from the nursery wrapped around its roots. Clearly, this was a lack of attention from an inexperienced gardener. He says, now we felt like the caretaker in the vineyard, the person who had patience, 
who believed that a little more encouragement, another chance, would make a difference. He writes, we, we, we removed the plastic from each plant, we fertilized, we watered regularly, and you might guess what happened. Within a few days, green leaves sprouted on all the branches. In a few weeks, the plants doubled in height, and within a year, they merged into this beautiful hedge that provided protection and beauty. It's a neat story. It reminds us, I think, that Lent is that time of the church year which calls us to self-examination, to do some uprooting if necessary. Perhaps there are some plastic bags, sin, surrounding our spiritual roots that prevent us from bearing fruit. Take the time to find out. Get rid of them as soon as possible. And then as you begin the process of getting those roots reestablished through prayer, through study, through fellowship, through worship, take a brief moment to remember with gratitude a day long ago when Jesus talked to his companions about a little fig tree. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.